Hello, listeners. This is Mike, your host. If you are enjoying these archive episodes, please consider supporting the podcast by going to the homepage, spacerockethistory.com, and clicking on the orange Donate button or the Patreon link. Hopefully, with your support, I can continue to release these archive episodes. Thanks. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Godspeed, John Glenn. Roger, zero G, and I feel fine. I feel uh, Okay, I'm out. How does it feel for the United States to be the new record holder? Hello and welcome. This is Michael Annis, and you're listening to episode 149 of the Space Rocket History Podcast. And now, Apollo 5, the Lunar Module's First Flight. I was flight director for Apollo 5, the unmanned shakedown cruise of the Lunar Module. The test plan consisted of a series of descent engine maneuvers to simulate a lunar landing, a fire in the hole abort, and a sequence of ascent engine maneuvers simulating a rendezvous of the lunar module with the command module. The lunar module ascent engine is buried in a cavity in the top surface of the descent stage. The fire in the whole test involved shutting down the descent rocket, blowing the bolts that attached the ascent and descent stages, switching control and power to the ascent stage, and igniting the ascent rocket while still nestled to the landing stage. All these events occurred in fractions of a second, just as they would in a real aborted landing close to the lunar surface. The fire in the whole abort was the most critical test of the mission and one we had to accomplish successfully prior to a manned mission. That was a quote from Apollo 5 Flight Director Gene Kranz. Now here's some background information on the Apollo 5 mission. This is Apollo 5, the first all-up unmanned flight test for the lunar module, the spacecraft in which man will make his first landing on the moon, the final major piece of Apollo hardware to be tested. Now the lunar module, dubbed LM-1, sits in its protective technological cocoon atop the tested and proven Saturn 1B launch vehicle, waiting for the boost into the environment for which it was designed, space. It will not return to Earth, but will continue in a gradually decaying orbit until it re-enters and burns up. In the blockhouse at Cape Kennedy, the men have assembled to do the job. From Marshall Space Flight Center, from the Kennedy Space Center, and from the Manned Spacecraft Center, they have come to get the mission into orbit. NASA officials faced 1968 with some satisfaction and a little trepidation. Apollo 4, the previous November, had been a triumph, but the Apollo team might have to do just as well six times in 1968 and five in 1969. That string of successes seemed to be necessary to a timely lunar landing. 
Against this backdrop of mounting schedule pressures, a spate of technical problems cropped up. The most worrisome were those connected with the lunar module. It had grown too fat again and still had problems with cracking metal and with the ascent engine during test firings. Combined, these faults played havoc with delivery schedules and posed a definite threat to achieving Apollo's mission within the decade. The command module also had some unresolved worries. Although North American had made good progress in its redefinition and qualification, flammability tests and the question of cabin atmosphere on the pad and at launch carried over into the new year, as did the difficulties in getting systems to the spacecraft production line at Downing. As with Apollo 4, Apollo 5 experienced long delays. The primary cause of this was the lunar module, which was well behind schedule. Some of the delays could be attributed to lack of experience in building a manned spacecraft to land on the moon. A 1966 schedule called for Lunar Module 1, also known as LIM-1, to be delivered to Cape Kennedy on November 16th of 1966, but the craft ran into difficulties in manufacturing and the months slipped by. Although the lunar module was fully designed, there was trouble fabricating the custom-made parts. The engines were also having problems. The descent engine was not burning smoothly, and the ascent engine was having fabrication and welding difficulties. Changes after the command module fire caused further delays, and LIM-1 did not arrive in Florida until June 27, 1967, three months beyond its original launch date. It arrived on board Aerospace Line's Super Guppy. Of course, in the end, these problems were overcome. John J. Williams, a veteran of both Mercury and Gemini, headed a 400-man spacecraft operations activity at Kennedy Space Center. When the limb arrived, Williams' men made sure that it met specifications and then watched the contractor during test, maintenance, and modifications to see that systems and equipment worked. After four months of test and repair, the limb was mated to the launch vehicle on November 1967. On December 17, 1967, another limb under test, failed in the Grumman Aircraft Engineering Corporation's Ascent Stage Manufacturing Plant. A window in LIM-5, which was destined to be Apollo 11's LIM, shattered during its initial cabin pressurization test. Designed to pressurize the cabin to 5.7 pounds per square inch above the external pressure, both inner and outer windows and the acrylic glass cover of the right-hand window shattered when the pressure reached 5.1 pounds per square inch. At this point, a decision had to be made concerning LIM-1's windows. So, on December 28, 1967, a decision was made to replace the glass windows in LIM-1 with aluminum plates as a precaution against a failure in flight similar to the one that occurred on limb number five in testing. 
Now I have an audio clip on the lunar module. LM is a vehicle that has been designed for a particular job, and that job is to land on the lunar surface. It doesn't look like an airplane or a spacecraft in the old sense. It's not smooth. It's very thin-skinned, has a descent propulsion stage, a large descent engine which will be used to, to land the vehicle on the lunar surface in a manner very similar to that of a helicopter, except that instead of using uh, blades for a lift, we'll be using a rocket propulsion engine. And uh, the upper stage, the cabin and ascent engine stage, uh, will be used to lift off from the lunar surface and uh, make the subsequent rendezvous with the command and service module. So the limb is really the, the taxi that provides the transportation between the orbiting command module and the lunar surface. The lunar module is a unique engineering concept. Designed and built on Earth, it is out of place on its native planet. The airless surface of the moon, the empty reaches of space, this is where it belongs. The comfortable pull of Earth's gravity, the protective, life-giving atmosphere, these to the lunar module, nicknamed LEM, are the hostile elements. Its engines cannot lift its own weight against the pull of the Earth. If it could fly on Earth, the aerodynamic forces of the atmosphere would tear it apart. So how do you test the lunar module before it flies in space? You test its engines in the man-made vacuum of an engine test stand. Its operating systems in gigantic vacuum chambers. You tumble it on stands in engineering laboratories. But the real test is when it flies. The launch vehicle for Apollo 5 was the Saturn 1B, a much smaller rocket than the Saturn 5, but still capable of launching an Apollo spacecraft into orbit. The launch vehicle for the LIM-1 mission was the one that would have boosted the ill-fated Apollo 1 crew into orbit. When it was taken down from Launch Complex 34 in March 1967, the launch preparation crew under the direction of Rocco Patron, inspected the booster for corrosion or any other damage it might have sustained during its long stay on the pad and then erected it on Launch Complex 37, getting it in place on April 12th. To hasten delivery, and since there was no crew, a command service module was not needed as such, there was no need for a launch escape system. As a consequence, the assembled rocket was only 55 meters tall, compared to the usual command service module stack height of 68 meters. The Apollo stack for this mission looked stubby. Limb 1 was also without legs, because it would make no landing. Rather, it would burn up on re-entry since it had no heat shield either. Its temporary home would be inside the spacecraft's lunar module adapter. 25 priorities monitored by 17 specialists would put the vehicle through its paces to make sure that it was safe for crew operations. Three items at the top of the list pertain to the fire-in-the-hole requirements or test to check structural effects, staging dynamics, and stability during a simulated lunar orbit. Firing the hole simply meant firing the ascent stage engine while it was still attached 
to the descent stage. Other objectives intended operating the descent and ascent propulsion systems, starting and stopping each to simulate phases of the lunar landing mission. By late fall and early winter of 1967, most of the mission documents were ready. Mission Director W.C. Snyder, who had played this same role in the Gemini program, issued the mission rules on November 28th, handing out responsibilities and spelling out what would be done in almost every eventuality. As the final testing on the vehicles progressed toward launch, flight readiness reviews were held at the Cape and in Washington. In the first few days of the new year, George Miller wrote Administrator James Webb that the launch would take place no earlier than January 18, 1968. Now let's turn our attention toward the launch. Rocco Patron's launch team had difficulty loading the propellants, mainly because of procedural troubles and small irritants such as clogged filters and ground support equipment problems. A simulated launch demonstration ended on January 19th, and the 22-hour countdown to launch began on January 21st. Back in Houston, lead flight director John Hodge and his chief assistant, Eugene F. Krantz, listened from the Mission Control Center to the activities at the Cape Launch Center and waited patiently to take over direction of the flight once Apollo 5 cleared the pad. RTC, will you site select, Guido, GNC, and ECOM to Milo. In Mission Control in Houston, flight controllers wait to take over command of the mission as soon as it lifts off the pad. Among these men are four who watch with special interest. Astronauts Jim McDivitt and Rusty Schweikert, who are scheduled to fly the first manned lunar module. And in a support room next to the control room, astronauts Frank Borman and Bill Anders, who will fly the lunar module on its rehearsal of the first manned lunar mission. Go flight. GNC. Go flight. Procedures. Go flight. AFD. Go. Network. Go flight. Computer soup. Go flight. RTC, you on AFD conference. RTC is on AFD conference. Roger. Best of luck. Okay, go ahead and reload. All flight controllers preconditioned for attachment two of the internal count. So men wait in tracking stations around the world for the flight of lunar module number one. For it is their information that will tell us whether it is safe for man. Roger, I am in flight control. Final status check, booster. Go. Retro. Go. Fido. Go. Guide. Go. Econ. Go. While the primary instructions for the mission are carried on board the LEM, the men on Earth in mission control can take over and fly it if necessary. But why all these elaborate precautions and details in an unmanned flight? Unmanned LEM-1 mission is one of the key missions in the entire lunar landing program. You must remember that the LEM is every bit as important as spacecraft as the command module, the Gemini, or the Mercury was, and this is the first flight of the vehicle. Naturally, uh, we'll all be looking at it with uh, very, very keen interest. Flight CVTS Black 2, verify your go for launch. Roger, we are go for launch. Okay, all flight controllers, let's play it cool. Launch sequence start. 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 6, 7, 8, 7, 8, 7, 8, 7, 8, 7, 8, 7, 8, 7, 8, 7, 8, 7, 8, 7, 8, 7, 8, 7, 8, 7, 8, 7, 8, 7, 8, 7, 8
After several hours delay because of equipment problems, just before dark, at 5.48 Eastern Standard Time, on the afternoon of January 22nd, Apollo 5 lifted off. The Saturn 1B worked perfectly, inserting the second stage and lunar module into a 163 by 220 kilometer orbit in about 10 minutes of flight. The nose cone was then jettisoned, and after a coast of 43 minutes, 52 seconds, the lunar module separated from its adapter and went into a 167 by 222 kilometer orbit with a period of 88.4 minutes. Here's the clip. Cut off plus 50. Cut off plus 50. The aerodynamic shroud is jettisoned. Now the next critical step the opening of the protective metallic panels and the separation of Lunar Module 1 from its cocoon. RTC booster, transmitting slot deploy. Roger. We are transmitting slot deploy. Okay, all flight controllers, we have slot deploy A and B relay indications, no physical monitor indication. Everything is nominal. We get a go for separation. On schedule, the reaction control engines of Lunar Module 1 pull it free of its protective cocoon. The space butterfly rests its wings before it flies. After checking out the Lunar Module for two orbits, ground control signaled the descent engine to fire for 39 seconds. The burn was designed to simulate deceleration for descent to the lunar surface. But, four seconds later, LIM-1's guidance system sensed that the vehicle was not going fast enough and stopped the engine. The cutoff was a planned feature in a manned flight. It would give the crew time to analyze the situation and decide where the engine should be restarted to continue the mission. Under normal conditions, the burn would have started with full tank pressurization and would have reached the proper velocity within four seconds. For this mission, however, the tank was only partially pressurized and it would have taken six seconds to reach the required speed. Here's the clip for the first burn. Now begins the long coast preparatory to the first firing of the descent engine. While the LEM coasts, tracking stations pinpoint its position and determine its orbit with accuracy. In Houston Mission Control, engineers are testing the many systems on board. The limb, I think, is like a big uh, line of dominoes, every one of which uh, has an effect upon the uh, one it's associated with. And nothing uh, can occur in one that doesn't somehow affect the others or the total uh, mission. So, LEM-1 coasts on, guided by its onboard programmer, seen only by the radar eyes of the tracking network, watched over by the men in mission control. We will not pulse the engine. The maneuver is go at this time based on the onboard. Roger, Houston. Roger, Houston is go for the burn. The lunar module nears the Australian coast. The Carnarvon tracking station takes command. 
The time is nearing for the first burn of the descent engine, the first rocket engine designed to be throttled, a necessary feature for a lunar landing. This will be its first burn in space. Dips on. Dips on. 10%. We got a ping caution. Program caution. Roger. Dips off. But something goes wrong. Instead of the full 38 second burn, the engine shuts down after only four seconds. An early look at the data indicates the onboard computer did not allow for the tolerances and errors within this most complex of all missions. It shut down the descent engine when it sensed an error of less than one and a half seconds. And computers don't argue. The capability of a crew, I think, is very uh, significant in that you don't, you can, uh, you can change your mind in flight. Uh, you don't have to uh, be restricted by the uh, rather narrow capabilities of any pre-programmed uh, mission. Faced with the unexpected, the computer made the only decision it could, and it was the wrong one. Now the success of the mission rests squarely on the team in mission control and in the tracking stations. The nominal plan is out the window. Due to the premature cutoff, the flight controllers move to an alternative flight plan. On communications lines all over the world, the alternates are discussed. But the final word must come from flight director Gene Kranz. I guess our best plan here and I think the way we're going to go. Go ahead. Is alternate Charlie. Go ahead. In the attitude you've got. Go ahead. At 6.15 elapsed. Go ahead. Okay. The long throttle burn of the descent engine would be cut to two minutes and occur during its pass over the United States. Then the descent engine would go to 100% thrust preparatory for the biggest test of the mission, fire in the hole. That's Suppose that we're descending using the descent engine and suddenly we discover some fault in the descent or the ascent stage, for that matter. Well, we would like to return to a safe lunar orbit. So what we would do is essentially abort, fire the ascent stage while it's still connected to the descent stage, and then milliseconds later, fire the pyros that separate the two stages. The alternate flight plan called for several burns. First, the descent propulsion system was to fire for 26 seconds at 10% thrust and then for 7 seconds at maximum thrust. Second, another descent engine firing would be performed 32 seconds later, almost duplicating the first burn except this time maximum thrust would only last 2 seconds. Third, the fire in the hole test to simulate an abort during the landing phase the ascent propulsion system would ignite almost simultaneously with the descent propulsion system being shut down. The ascent propulsion system burn would last 60 seconds to complete the fire and hold test. Then lastly, a 6 minute 23 second firing of the ascent engine to deplete its fuel. This is how it went. First ground control sent a switch off signal to the guidance computer and manually took control of the lander's maneuvers. Roger, you have dips arm. Over California now, up and down the power scale. 
The first rocket engine capable of controlled variations of its propulsion force is passing the test. This is the time of maximum stress on the lunar module and on the men, flight controllers, astronauts, and engineers, to whom Lunar Module One represents years of their professional lives. And now there is another factor. A second test for the ascent stage is a burn to depletion of its propellant. This was to come one orbit after fire in the hole to test the restart capability of the engine. Now, if it looks critical, this burn will be combined with fire in the hole. Max first. Raj. Approach stage. Staging. Raj, staging. Apps on. Okay, let's watch this. We got 60 seconds. Let's make a good go now go here. Flight fighter, we're looking at White Sands track. It is good. It's solid. We're go. The burn is good. Lunar Module 1 is performing fantastically well as a spacecraft. The shutdown order is given after 60 seconds of ascent burn. Now it is time for the burn to depletion. However, as the lunar module continues its flight, the Earth has rotated under it until it has moved nearly off the tracking range. LAM-1 will now pass over only one station, Hawaii, that can give the new and accurate information its computer needs and can command the engine to restart. It looks like on the coming pass, Hawaii will send the update and on the next, send the command signal. But now another problem crops up. Flight, we're going to run out of RCS and B here the way we're going. Okay, Jack, let's stay cool. Because of the new mode of flight, the attitude rockets are running low on propellant. It looks as though these small but critical engines may not last for two more orbits. But an update of orbit information shows that Lunar Module 1 will just pass within range of the Carnarvon Station, whose range has been extended by the addition of the tracking ship Coastal Sentry Quebec, CSQ. Flight Director Kranz makes his decision. Update at Carnarvon and fire at Hawaii. It's go for the burn. Guidance from flight, we're having a lot of dropouts. Roger, flight. let him know when he's clear to command again. Go. But the pass over Carnarvon is too short. The full update does not get to the lunar module, including an instruction that would have drained some of the propellant from the ascent engine tanks into the tanks of the attitude rockets. Without this propellant, it is doubtful if the final ascent burn can be ignited. Now it gets tight. Tank pressure is just enough. It has to be this orbit. The flight team is under the gun. Cran's plan is time critical. The rest of the information will be sent up early during the Hawaii pass. After a quick guidance check, the ascent propulsion system will be fired. The signal to ignite the engine is PRA-5. You have clock and compare pulses. That's negative, Flight. We got a spacecraft reject on that. We don't show any clock compare pulses, Flight. Retransmit. Guidance execute PRA start. It's go. The burn works. And at shutdown, it holds. All systems are still operating as expected, beyond what was expected. It's been a tremendous test of the engine, and that's what it was all about. You want me to stand by here? Negative. You've done it all, and good work, Gary. Beautiful job. Throughout the flight of Apollo 5, the lunar module had performed magnificently. All systems operated either as predicted or far exceeded the predictions. The inability of an onboard computer to cope with a programming error was overcome by the infinitely more flexible mind of man. 
hundreds of additional commands sent from Earth put the lunar module through a demanding real-time test. After 11 hours and 10 minutes, the test was over, and control of the two stages was terminated. The stages were left in a low enough orbit so atmospheric drag would soon cause their orbits to decay and re-enter the atmosphere. The ascent stage re-entered on January 24th and burned up. The descent stage re-entered on February 12th, falling into the Pacific, several hundred kilometers southwest of Guam. In conclusion, despite the initial premature descent propulsion system shutdown, NASA deemed the mission a success and operation of all lunar module systems was confirmed. A second unmanned flight test using LIM-2 was canceled. Then, LIM-3 was cleared for the first manned lunar module flight, which was scheduled to occur on the Apollo 9 mission. George Miller was able to report to Administrator Webb that all primary objectives had been achieved. The lunar module showed the resilience, flexibility, and the margin that would be needed to land on the moon. The following day's newspaper declared, quote, Apollo mission a success, lunar program on track. for listening to this archive episode of the Space Rocket History Podcast. If you are financially able, please support the podcast by going to the homepage spacerockethistory.com and clicking on the orange donate button or the Patreon link. Thanks.